Okay, hello everybody, today is Wednesday, and on Wednesdays this year, I've been doing a segment about the Long Island serial killer, but just a couple of quick announcements before we begin. The first is that I introduced the show by saying, BBO War, Black Box Online Radio, coming to you from West Virginia, BlackBoxNid88 on Instagram for the bonus podcast. And for those of you who haven't heard the bonus podcast on Instagram, Number one, well, I invite you to follow me over there. My name is BlackBoxNet88. And in this episode, if you'd like to get a preview, at the end I'm going to include a segment of the most recent Instagram bonus podcast so you can see what it is like. Mostly talking about music, movies, TV, books, daily life. It started as just my daily journal, then it turned into a weekly journal. But I'm trying to focus them now on a single subject. So that will be at the end of this episode. And the next announcement is that if you are a fan of this program, I invite you to check out the buymeacoffee.com page and consider making a contribution to the show. Absolutely anything is welcome. Buymeacoffee.com, and the link is in the description box, and everything will go to future efforts with the channel, and you will get a shout-out on Zodiac Monday here on BBO War. And the last reminder is that this show is available for free downloads at Launchpad 1, under the same name, Black Box Online Radio. But the easiest way to find it is to go into the description box and look for Launchpad 1. Lots of things in the description box there. Okay, so today I'm going to be talking about my personal theory in the Long Island serial killer mystery. I started responding to the list case back in 2021, and at first, I had absolutely no idea what to say, because, number one, we don't know when the Long Island serial killer truly started operating. Number two, we don't know when the Long Island serial killer truly ceased to operate. And because this is an unsolved case, we don't know how many perpetrators. We do not know who exactly is involved with these crimes. Is it one person, two people, five people are planning these murders? A lot of guesswork is required, and there are very big differences in the way in which the crimes were committed. But to lay out some of the initial groundwork, if you will, to go back through the timeline, the first confirmed victim of the Long Island serial killer was the Fire Island Jane Doe, who was murdered in 1996. They found only her legs at that point, and then later on, after more discoveries were made in the new millennium, they found her skull, and that's why they were able to make the composite sketch of the Fire Island Jane Doe, but she is still unidentified to this day, and um, obviously she was mutilated. Then the next victim was Peach's Jane Doe, as well as her daughter Baby Doe. That occurred in 1997, and even though these women are unidentified and we don't know who they are, they believe that Peach's Doe and uh, Fire Island Jane Doe were prostitutes or sex workers, something in that profession, and that Baby Doe was simply brought along with her mother. Again, though, all three of those people are unidentified. Then in 2000, the Long Island serial killer murdered Valerie Mack. She was a known prostitute, and she was also mutilated. 2003, the Long Island serial killer murders Jessica Taylor, and... Not only is she mutilated, but her tattoo is also cut up. And then, in there's actually a very big gap, actually, from the murder of Jessica Taylor in 2003 
to a possible Long Island serial killer crime, and that is the murder of Cherry's Jane Doe. Both Peach's Doe and Cherry's Jane Doe had a tattoo on their breast of a fruit, Peaches and Cherries. That's how they get their nicknames. And in one episode, I was even speculating a little bit, saying, is this some type of prostitution ring where someone has required them to get that as a type of branding or marker? I mean, maybe that's possible, but Peaches Jane Doe was um, identified by her tattoo artist. At the very least, they published Peaches' um, tattoo in a tattoo magazine in hopes that the artist would recognize it and say, yes, I gave a tattoo to that woman. Somebody in Connecticut did say that, that he gave a very similar tattoo, if not the same tattoo, to a woman who was present in his tattoo parlor with um, the woman's aunt and the woman's cousin. So two family members, yet. I mean, the tattoo artist was able to recognize this, yet with all the publicity surrounding it, Peach's Doe is still unidentified. Cherry's Jane Doe is still unidentified. And it's important to um, note the detail that Cherry's Jane Doe was mutilated, but her body was also put into a suitcase. And I believe that one of the reasons why she is unidentified is because they said that her body most likely washed up on the shore, and there were lots of storms in the area, and that suitcase could have come from any direction because the storm water could, was pushing um, debris and objects, including the suitcase, all over the area. So, possibly, I mean, there's so many similarities, though, it is quite shocking. Then, after these crimes, which I've just described, well, firstly, the crimes that I've just talked about, from 96 to 2003, for sure, are what are known as the Manorville Butcher Murders, because that's how the uh, press was reporting about a serial killer, and Valerie Mack was even given the nickname Manorville Jane Doe for a while, until they made some more discoveries, which I'll talk about now. Then the Long Island serial killer murders the Gilgo Four, and, well, last week I did the first episode on the Gilgo Four when I was talking about the murder of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, who was killed in 2007. From this point onward, the Long Island serial killer is not mutilating the victims. They are strangled, and their bodies are discarded. Now, you might hear the famous story about how they are put into burlap sacks or burlap roll. Firstly, almost certainly it is rolled burlap. And what they say in a lot of sources is at least two of them were found rolled in burlap. And I believe that this was done to speed up the decomposition. Now, I'll share my theory about that throughout the duration of this episode. But you have someone who has murdered 10 to 16 people over the course of perhaps, oh, let's see, 15 years. What could be the theory about how this person is operating? Well, as I said last week, I did an episode on the murder of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, and she was um, murdered in 2007, but they found her remains and identified her in a much shorter amount of time than, say, somebody such as Valerie Mack, who it took 18 years to identify her, so they could talk to people who knew Maureen Brainerd Barnes, and they could talk to people who would remember specific details. And the thing that stood out to me the most was that 
she almost never did any type of out-call escorting. Yes, she was an escort. Yes, she advertised on Craigslist. And um, she frequently would work out of a motel. But this time, she didn't bring the client to the motel. She left the motel and went out to see someone. And like the person who knew her just said that was very, very abnormal for her. So here's the theoretical part. What if somebody is going through escort ads, personals, and, um, because this would even be before advertising on the internet if we're going back to 1996. Yes, the internet existed, but I don't know if this, um, person was finding the Fire Island Jane Doe on the internet. Probably not. I would suspect that he found the Fire Island Jane Doe through a newspaper ad. But somebody is just making a call and coming up with a ridiculous story and even talking in a silly voice, saying something to the effect of, Yes, hello there, I'd like some company for the evening. And the woman's going to be thinking, What? What's going on? And she's like, I'm not going to come see you. You have to come to my motel room. Oh, I'm an old man and I'm in a wheelchair and I'm just so lonely. Oh, I even have an oxygen tank. I can barely breathe. And then she thinks, well, oh, this guy's probably harmless. You know what? Um, No, no, I still can't do it. I'm not doing it. He has to come here. I'll pay you a thousand dollars more than your asking price. Okay, fine, fine. Um, you know, he just keeps telling her whatever she wants to hear because he wants her to come and see him. And it's a totally made-up story. And not only that, I would suspect that, number one, the killer is talking in a silly voice the way that I just did. It's not even a good impression or a good impersonation. But they're doing it with such uh, confidence and also, they're staying in character the whole time, because that's something about psychopathic serial killers. They are very good at the predatory behavior, and part of that is putting on the facade. I mean, they, they fool people all day long, and they're almost like natural actors anyway, so he's not going to break character for a second. And with every single victim, he is going to um, make up some other... Story. There's going to be something different about every little fake story that he's telling these women to try and come see them. Perhaps he's saying that he's a very wealthy person, that he is unable to get out of bed because of an accident. Oh, you don't have a car? Well, no, don't call a taxi. I will send my driver to get you. And I think you know where this is going. He's not actually a rich guy. He doesn't actually have a driver. He's talking in a silly voice on the phone. Yes, I'm an old sick man. And then the Long Island serial killer shows up in his car and he uh, either meets the um, escort somewhere, probably probably meets her at, not exactly at her uh, doorstep from the motel that she was working at, but maybe at the bus stop or the train station, and then drives her to some secluded area. And that's when the woman is murdered. Again, he is luring her to some type of far-out place purely on the uh, suspicion, or on the assumption, rather, on the uh, pretense, rather, that she is going to be earning a lot amount of money, a large amount of money, and she's going to be with some guy who is going to be mostly harmless, the old sick man, or maybe someone who has been in an accident and is 
immobile, and they just wove together this absolutely um, atrocious lie to lure a woman to a vulnerable place to have her murdered. Now, I have to give a shout-out to Classic Chevy Cat, who shared two very good observations. The first is uh, relevant to this theory directly when she said that, is it possible that the Long Island serial killer had a garage with a sink in it, and it would have been very easy to set up a kill room in there, or a room to dismember the bodies. I mean, you think like a garage with a sink, where the victims could be cut up, and then, I mean, all the blood evidence could be destroyed very easily, and a garage doesn't have to look a certain way and is presentable, and not a lot of people are going to be going there. And even that, I would add in the additional uh, element, a freezer, like a commercial freezer. Now, I don't know 100%, but I have read that they do think that some of the victims were preserved in a freezer for a while, and then their bodies were discarded at um, different intervals. Maybe it's for a calculating reason, maybe it's for um, an unknown reason, but um, I, that does, definitely doesn't seem to be one of the facts of the case that has been talked about extremely frequently, but I just wanted to throw that out there. I mean, yeah, something like that would happen. Like, this guy drives her to, well, just either his home, and he commits the murder, dismembers the body, and you gotta imagine a garage that has running water, of course, just wiping everything down. You got things like bleach, maybe something like ammonia, but not at the same time, absolutely not. And then it can all just be cleaned up. When I did the episode on the psychological profile about the Long Island serial killer, I shared um, something from the New York Post when they said that they thought that the Long Island serial killer either had a wife or a long-term girlfriend. It's quite possible. It's quite possible that this um, is not just the sad, lonely man. This is somebody who's using a wife and a girlfriend as a cover. And... Somebody wrote into the channel recently saying that, is this just some guy who doesn't want to pay the escorts? Like he lures them there and they do their business and then he's just not paying them, so he strangles them. And I mean, I definitely think that's a possibility, but if that's the case, then I don't think it would be the primary objective. And as I said very clearly in my theory that I thought that the person was making up a story about how he's using the driver facade, like, he's pretending to be one person on the phone, and then he's pretending to be the driver. In that instance, it wouldn't be necessary. And in all seriousness, the women could be um, in danger before any type of scenario would kick off, and also, she wouldn't have the ability to call her text, well, text messaging was a little primitive at the time, but she wouldn't have the ability to call or notify anybody where she was. So, I think that um, some steps could happen before that. As I said, that she's driven to a place where she doesn't expect to be in trouble. And for a lot of these crimes, we wouldn't be sure if the victims had any cell phones, 96 and 97. And even the authorities point out that the um, only person in the Long Island serial killer mystery who was able to make a phone call to 911 was Shannon Gilbert, and that's one reason why they don't believe that she was a, a victim of the Lisk. But I said that classic Chevy Cat made another good observation, and that relates to the 2003 murder of Jessica Taylor, and this whole thing about 
why would somebody um lure them to this place as why is this person committing the murders why would um he do this is it just because he just doesn't want to pay the escorts no i think again i think it's because he is dealing with a lot of animosity toward women what classic chevy cat said was that jessica taylor's tattoo said remy's angel but it was mutilated it was cut up however it was not disguised and it could have very easily been removed or cut off or cut up in a way in which no one would have been able to recognize it and what she said was that maybe he thought the word angel was the problem saying you're no angel again driven by animosity toward women but i think that maybe some of you who have listened this far into the episode are probably thinking well you gotta do a lot more to have an episode called my theory and just say that yeah he's making up a silly story to invite escorts to a secluded area how about some other observations and i'll give them to you in 2007 something happens that drives the long island serial killer to stop mutilating the victims and then strangle them and discard them mostly at gilgo beach hence the uh, name gilgo for gilgo beach killer and i suspect that there are two possibilities one of them is that sometime in between the murder of Cherry's Jane Doe and the murder of Maureen Brainerd Barnes, this person was either injured or that he experienced some type of sexual humiliation at the hands of another woman, and um, that just drove him to commit the crimes in a different way. But I'm really leaning toward that type of injury or just um unable to uh do something in a certain way because obviously he's still murdering them but there's a big change in the frequency of the victims i mean if my theory has any validity at all that cherry's jane doe was a genuine victim of the long island serial killer she was murdered in 07 and then maureen brainerd barnes was murdered only a few months later this is quite different than someone who waited three years and four years in between the crimes. Jessica Taylor was murdered in 2003. Cherry's Jane Doe wasn't murdered until 2007. What would drive somebody to do this? I really just go back and forth because I think that that suggests there's some type of sexual humiliation going on. Some guy's with an escort and he can't perform and maybe he was going to murder her anyway but that just changed his pattern. That just changed his entire thinking. I mean, that that seems more like someone who is an injured. Why he chose to stop mutilating. And people bring this up to me in the comments section all the time. They don't agree with either one of those options. They simply say that they think that he got older. He thought it wasn't necessary. And furthermore, the Long Island serial killer hadn't been caught at the time. So he's thinking that... Maybe it's an, even a move of overconfidence that he can just leave the victims on Gilgo Beach and he's not going to get captured. And it's absolutely heinous and disgusting, but the Long Island serial killer has not been captured. So I think that um, that is more or less what happened in 2007. As you see, I'm entertaining a single killer theory. I think that the unconfirmed victim, Cherry's Jane Doe, was killed by the Lisk. 
But there's a very big competing theory out there that the Manorville Butcher, who operated from 96 to um, 2003, I guess, officially, and then the um, Long Island serial killer who killed the Gilgo Four and the um, other victims such as that I haven't talked about here, such as Amberlynn Costello and Megan Waterman, that those victims are um, two different serial killers are responsible for the deaths of those victims. First the Manorville Butcher and then the Long Island serial killer. It's possible. I mean, no matter what, I'll accept the result if the uh, authorities and the FBI and the um, Suffolk County Police sign off on a solution and they say that, okay, it was this person and this is how he did it. Yeah, I will accept the end result. But as a, as for now, I, I'm going with one killer. And again, I think that there has been something that happened to him in the year of 2007 that affected his behavior. And as I said, what do you think? Do any of those three possibilities make sense to you? Number one, sexual humiliation, that um, he was either unable to perform sex or somebody embarrassed him in some way, and that drove him to commit the crimes in a different way. Or um, the second reason was he was injured to some part of his body, maybe something like a leg injury, where he could still strangle the victims, but mutilating the victims and decapitating them was just um, less practical, and then he uh, decided to discard their bodies. And then the third one is simply he was just older, maybe after the murder of Cherry's Jane Doe. This killer's thinking, oh, that is absolutely too, too, too much work. I'm getting old now. It's been um, more than 10 years since the Fire Island Jane Doe had been murdered, 11 years to be precise. So then he wants to try murdering a victim in a new way. He's going to try and lure Maureen Brainerd Barnes out of uh, the city the same way that he has done to all of these other women. But this time he's just going to strangle her. Oh, that worked. All right, now he has this new way of committing crimes, and then he is going to keep doing so. Do any three of those three possibilities make sense to you? Please weigh in in the comments section down below. And I briefly talked about one possible victim of the Long Island serial killer in this one, and her name is Shannon Gilbert. She is perhaps the most famous uh, person associated with this case, and as you can already tell, I do not believe that Shannon Gilbert was a victim of the Lisk for the uh, basic reasons that the authorities put forward. The first is that she was found on the south side of the Ocean Parkway in a marsh, and all the other victims were found on the north side going along the, um, well, the ocean, for lack of a better term, the water, the Ocean Parkway. And the other reasons is that Shannon Gilbert was able to make a phone call. There are no recorded phone calls from any of the victims that had the ability to call 911. And if I can just be completely frank with you, I think that Shannon Gilbert is someone who had a manic episode, and I don't even know if the threats that she believed on her 911 call are genuine. I mean, genuine. I, genu I genuinely believe that she was afraid, but it's almost as if she's afraid of this person and that we have no evidence of, because Shannon Gilbert went to see a client named Joe Brewer on the night that she went missing. She was driven to his house by her driver, Michael Pack, and her 911 calls have been released. You can hear them on Black Box Online Radio. And she's saying something that really stood out to me when she says to Joe Brewer, 
to keep the door closed. And Joe Brewer says, no, I'm going to go upstairs and um, I want to keep the door open and he can take you out, referring to Michael Pack. I'm paraphrasing, but you get the idea. And I thought that was so telling because that really showed that she's not afraid of Joe Brewer. If anything, she's afraid of Michael Pack because she believes that her driver, Michael Pack, has partnered with somebody to um, do some type of physical harm to her. And one detail that we knew about Shannon very early on is that she said, they are coming after me, they're trying to get me, they're trying to kill me. So, variants of that statement. And people always pointed out she's saying they, meaning more than one person. But it does not appear to be the client. It does not appear to be Joe Brewer. But the biggest reason why I believe that there is no actual person there, that this is all in Shannon's mind, is there's another 911 call where someone says that he sees what he calls the girl and the guy. The guy is driving a dark-colored SUV, maybe a black Suburban, he says, and Michael Pack did indeed have a dark-colored SUV that he used to drive Shannon to Long Island. But that's it. There is, obviously, Joe Brewer, the client. There is, obviously, Shannon. Michael Pack is there. And that's it. There, there are no other people. There doesn't seem to be an ounce of physical evidence. They suggest there that there actually is this person who is waiting outside that is trying to hurt Shannon in some way. Now, some people simply think that... Um, this is a bigger operation, it's a criminal operation, that there's some type of thrill-kill club going on and Michael Pack was supplying the girls. It's possible. I mean, I don't know what happened. This is an unsolved case. But if I had to make a decision now, I would say that Shannon Gilbert was someone who was dealing with a mental illness. She had bipolar disorder and she self-medicated with things like marijuana and ecstasy as opposed to um, taking her meds, sometimes even using alcohol. And perhaps she had a manic episode, she ran away. And then on this south side of the parkway that I was talking about, not only is it a marsh, but there is going to be a rather high water level at the time. And it's possible that Shannon drowned. It's also possible that she um, experienced some other type of internal organ failure. I simply do not think we'll know because Shannon was in the marsh for so long and I believe the authorities said in the uh, 911 call um, press conference that the official statement, not based on the Gilbert family's coroner, but the official statement from the medical examiner is just that the, there's an undetermined cause of death. So, to recap, I'm going with a single perpetrator who is operating on either starting out with the newspaper ads, personal ads there, that look like they are escorts. He's being non-threatening. The woman isn't going to suspect a thing. He's making up these silly stories to try to put the woman at ease to come out and see him. He tells her that he has a driver that will come pick him up. So she's thinking, oh, I'm going to earn a lot of money the guy's probably not even going to do anything because he's sick, he's wheelchair-bound, or he's bedridden, something like that. And then the person who is posing as the driver is actually the Long Island serial killer. And instead of driving her to this rich, fancy neighborhood with mansions, he is driving her to, well, either his own home or a home that he has access to, and then that's where he is committing the murder. 
dismembering the bodies, and then something happens in 2007. Maybe it just simply is that he is too old to uh, strangle the victims. or sorry, too old to mutilate the victims anymore, so he resorts to strangling. I misspoke there. But what do you think? And then, um, do you think that there is one killer or two killers or multiple? Do you believe that Shannon Gilbert was a victim of the Long Island serial killer? Do you believe that Cherry Jane Doe was a victim of the Long Island serial killer? They are both unconfirmed. And please, this is about the truth. This is not about anything associated with me. So if I'm wrong, please lay out all the reasons in my theory that are incorrect. I would love to read your messages, and anybody can write the show at blackboxonlineradio at AOL.com. You can also get me on Facebook. My personal Facebook is in the description box down below. And there is always BlackBoxNid88 on Instagram. And I said I was going to share with you um, a segment of the bonus podcast from Instagram. So you can have a listen in just a second. But I should let you know, I'm going to be discussing the book Growing Up, Institutionalized to Globetrotting by Shane Lewis. He was uh, perhaps most famous for being on the show Naked and Afraid. And I started reading his book. And even if you're not familiar with that show or Shane Lewis or his uh, book growing up, this is one that deals with a lot of personal experiences. So let me know what you think about this, and you can follow on BlackBoxNid88 on Instagram. Let's have a listen. <laughs> 